Heritage Park Baptist Church, we make apprentices to Jesus Christ. For more information about our church, please visit heritagepark.org. Uh, the thing about remembering 9-11 yesterday is, is really as much about remembering as it is about recalling what it was like to live as people on 9-12. And I, I point that out not only to note that 20 years now removes. Some of us distinctly remember some of us uh, in the room and those online were too young uh, to even know what that was. And we're watching documentaries like we're watching a, a history thing. Um, but but I, I think the call is to, to live if, as if it's 912. And, and uh, again, appropriately so. Just listening, though, to the folks speak and the folks uh, say the things that they did on TV and radio and other places, uh, the specials that were on, um, and the, the reports that were given on social media, um, we told the story as if we're living in it today. And what I'm, I'm bringing this up to recognize 9-11, but also to say the story that we're looking at today in Exodus is a story that we want to tell and a story that we actually want to live in today. It's important because um, the, the story of uh, the, the Red Sea is the story that, man, I just like it becomes the shaping moment uh, for the rest of the Old Testament story as well as well, well into the New Testament. When we say uh, that our story in Exodus is the story of deliverance and the new people of God, this is the moment. This is the moment, the moment where deliverance comes and the new people of God is formed. And so this story um, is our story. So I want to uh, just kind of highlight three particular principles. I, I will say this. Uh, I could not boil it down to pithy stuff this week. And so there's a lot of words that will show up on the screen. If you're a note taker and you're like, I can't write that. I'll, I'll, I'll get writer's cramp. And then I'll you know, be all weird looking at people who look at me on the road. That's fine. Grab your phone, snap a picture, write it down later in your journal if you want to do that. Perfectly fine with me. It never offends me when people uh, do so. There's a lot of words that are going to pop up on the screen. Uh, and I'm, I'm actually going to start uh, in Exodus chapter 13. Uh, we'll read uh, starting in verse 17 down to verse 22. We'll start there and then pick up in 14. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. But God led the people around the way, uh, by the way of the wilderness, toward the Red Sea. And let's just pause here for just one second. Uh, uh, kind of a geographical parenthesis. We'll have a couple of these. Uh, the, some of you may have notes in your Bible uh, further down in a study Bible or something. that uh, th This is most literally translated the Sea of Reeds. Some people think because it's translated the Sea of Reeds that it's not the Red Sea as we know it today. Some people say, well, the Red Sea as we know it today is not the same as it was 3,500 years ago. All of that's an interesting discussion and has nothing to do with the story that we live in. I'm just letting you know that's the reality. The people of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt equipped for battle. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for, uh, with him, for Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, God will surely visit you. You shall carry up my bones uh, with you from here. They moved on from Succoth and encamped at Etham and on the edge of the wilderness. Uh, and, and the Lord, the I Am, went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them. Uh, along the way and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light. They might travel by day and by night. They could do both. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart uh, from before the people. So <clears throat> here's the first principle just from that little section of chapter 13. Um, 
We want a map. God wants to guide. I don't know if this is true of you. It is absolutely, without question, true of me. God, if if you could just tell me that we're going to go east a little bit, and we're going to turn, like, I want God to be my Google map lady, yeah? <laughs> Let's plug in the destination. Um, you know, this answer to prayer, or that particular place, or this particular job, or this particular family situation, or this one. Let's plug it in. Okay, we're going to go right for two miles, uh, up on your... Uh, right 200 feet from now, 100 feet from turn right, turn right. And you just kind of turn, okay, we're going to go from there. And all the while, all I'm doing is got the phone plugged in so it doesn't run out of battery. And you stick it up there on the dash because um, the car that I drive doesn't have Apple CarPlay. Thank you very much. So I stick it up on the dash so I can see what's going on. And I just want, I want something to tell me which way to go. And I want a map. I want a map. And it's really nice now that the Google map lady tells me where the cops are. And where the traffic is too, yeah? So it's uniquely helpful when I get insight into where some of the pitfalls and dangers are. This is what I think about sometimes when I think about my relationship to God. But that's not at all how God thinks about it. God wants to guide and the reason, let's, let's back up, we'll read it, and then I want to show it to you in the text, and then I want The Lord, verse 21, and the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, that they might travel both by day and night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from them. It didn't. It never left them from before the people. So here's the thing. The reason why God wants to be our guide is because he wants, as he, as he delivers this group of people and creates a new people, okay? He, he delivers these, these persons and creates this new people. He wants to be the God of these new people. He wants a relationship with those new people. Same then as today. He wants to be in a relationship with you and with us as we, the new people of God, journey through life together. He, what some people think, and boy, there's some crazy stuff coming in Exodus. Um, some people think, okay, God lays out all the rules in Exodus. Here's the 10 biggies, you know, do this, don't do that. And our, li- and our lives just kind of check the boxes of do and don't. And as long as we do that, we're fine. This is kind of what God is about. He's about do's and don'ts. Listen, he is about a relationship. That's what he wants primarily with you. That relationship expresses itself in healthy ways through do's and don'ts. It's absolutely true. We're not knocking the Ten Commandments. That's not where we're going. But I'm telling you, some people think that's all that God wants. And I'm saying to you today, God did not give us a map. He wants to be our guide. And He wants to do so because He wants a relationship with you. A couple of things here, uh, just of note. First of all, He knows what is ahead of us and He knows what is within us. Verse 17, back up to 13, uh, chapter 13, verse 17. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. So just pause. Um, God could have taken them up, right, right, I mean, straight up to the promised land. But there were Philistines in between them and the promised land. Lots of these little fortifications along the way. Shortest route, the, you know, straight line, whole thing. God didn't take them that way. Why? Because he knew what was ahead. He knew, he knew that there were Philistines there. He knew that there were fortified places there. Um, and then, here's what, for God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. So he knew what was in them. He knew what was ahead of them, and he knew what was in them. And funny enough, we'll take note of this here in just a minute. It showed up on the 
uh, during the, the uh, scripture reading a moment ago. But when they saw war, when, the, when Pharaoh and his chariots started chasing them, what did they want to do? Go back to Egypt. It's like God knew what was in them. He knows what is ahead, and he knows what is in us. Okay, so now in chapter 14, verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp in front of... This is a good thing. This is not your hometown. You ready? Pihahiroth. Everybody? No? Uh, no, don't, don't. Where are you from? Eh, you can't say it. Don't worry about it. Uh, in, in front of the, uh, Perith, uh, between Migdal and the sea, in front of Baal Zephon, or Baal Zephon, um, you shall encamp facing it by the sea. For Pharaoh will say of the people of Israel, they're wandering in the land. The wilderness has shut them in. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart. He will pursue them. I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the I am, the Lord. So uh, he not only knows what is ahead and knows what's in us, he also leads us in a way that he knows is best, even, even when we don't. So he sent them out, and then he says to Moses, now turn around. And the, the place where he kind of sticks them, by, by that P word. Uh, and then Migdal. Migdal means uh, a tower or, or fortress. And so he's got them by kind of some military installation. And then you see this other place, Baal Zephon, was the mountain of the god of the sea. Now stick that in your brain. The mountain of the god of the sea. So he's got them basically in the perfect place for Pharaoh to ambush them. And you think to yourself, God... Do you really know what's going on here? Yes, he really knows what's going on because God is intentionally setting up both a military showdown, but as well as the spiritual showdown. The question is, who's going to be the actual God of the sea? Now, one more, one more. Verse four, I will harden Pharaoh's heart. He'll pursue him. I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts and the Egyptians shall know that I am the I am the Lord. And they did so. Um, here's last thing under this first principle. God, as he guides us, he is not afraid to put himself or his people in the place where his glory is at stake and his power is displayed. Now, folks, if you and I are journeying with the people of Israel, it is terrifying to go this way and then turn back and be in the perfect place to be, to be ambushed. That is terrifying, but not for God. For some of us, we, we, we face some things, right? And we're going, okay, God, uh, surely you didn't leave me down here because look at all the things that I'm looking at now. Look at all the things that are around in front of me now. Look at all the things, the challenges uh, that are right there. God is not afraid to put um, himself or his people in a place where his glory is at stake. I will get glory over Pharaoh, is what he said, or where his power is going uh, to be displaced. It, it scares us to death, but not God. Now, now, the other side of that sometimes, and I just want to just note this, that this happens to us sometimes. Um, uh, there, there are times when uh, we think, oh, God, God can't be leading me there, because then, indeed, God would be putting himself in a place where his glory, glory is displayed, uh, excuse me, where his glory is at stake and his power is displayed, and I need to protect God from that. Folks, God doesn't need our protection. He's got it, Okay. He's got it. So just just trust him and, and, and let him let him guide you. If God it, God doesn't need our protection, our honor, yes, our obedience, yes, all of that, uh, but not 
not our protection. So here, here's a word. I just want you to stick this word in your mind as it's associated with this first principle. Here's the word. Surrender. I'm here at the place. There's stuff behind me that's boiling. Stuff in front of me that I can't overcome. I'm here at the place where I need to trust you, God, to do something. You've guided me to this place. And now I surrender to you. What is my next step? What's my next step? Surrender. Just put that word. Put that word in your brain. Second principle. We'll skip a little bit. Pharaoh and his army, the next few verses. Pharaoh and his army kind of uh, get gear up for war. We're going to start in verse 10. When When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes. And behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord, and they said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you've taken us away to die in the wilderness? What, what, what have you done to us, bringing us out of Egypt? Is this not what we said to you while we were in Egypt? Leave us alone. Leave us alone, that we may serve the Egyptians, for it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. Principle number two. The things that we fear and the things that we fuss about Our fears and our complaints, they reveal some things to us and they reveal some things about us. Our fears and our complaints reveal some things to us and they reveal some things about us. Let me try to modernize uh, some of this language and just see if this um, rings true for anybody. I have more fear of what they will do to me than I do trust in God. Whoever they is, just assign they... To some, that group, whatever it is. I have more fear of what they will do to me than I have trust in God. This is the people of Israel. They're looking backwards. They're saying, Pharaoh and his army, they're coming, man. There's chariots and there's foot soldiers and there's some, there's some stuff. There's some, it is coming after me. And I'm more scared of that than I have faith in you. Secondly, I have more fear of what's ahead than the challenge of my current circumstances. You put us here, and I, I'm, I, I'm way more scared about what you're going to say next than the current situation. Thirdly, I would rather have the pain of my situation than the pain it takes to change. I mean, here I am. I, I know what it's like to carry this burden I don't know if I can get out of this and walk in that. Because, like, this, this stuff I feel like I'm managing. Oh, sure, it eats away at me and I'm losing sleep and hair and all sorts of things. But, I mean, I, I think I'm doing okay. Folks, th- this is, this is um, every addiction cycle has a moment. If you break out of it, you come to the realization that and you wrestle with the reality that There is a pain that it's going to take to change. And when the pain of staying the same exceeds the pain of changing, that's when the addiction cycle gets broken. The the slow death of slavery, when we we express this, this, what we're saying is the slow death of slavery is is better than the wilderness. The the place of testing, of promise, deliverance, and all the things that go with it. Lastly... I think I'm better off 
without the presence and activity of God in my life. Leave us alone. Isn't this what we told you? Just leave us alone. We'll serve the Egyptians. Sure, God wants to work in my life. Sure, God wants to do this. Sure, God wants to challenge me. Sure, God wants to grow me. Sure, God wants to transform me. Sure, God wants to do all those things. I actually kind of like the life that I have. Seems like I'm managing it okay. I think I'm actually better off without the presence and activity of God in my life. And if that's you this morning, if you're watching online, you go, boy, that... Here's what I say to you. I mean, none of these things that are up on the screen right here, none of them sound like the life that Jesus promised. He comes along and he says, um, uh, the, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that you may have life and may have it to the full. None of this sounds like life abundance in abundance. None of this sounds like the life that Jesus desires for us. None of us sounds like the life that is marked with the kind of freedom and purpose that he wants to uh, instill in us and then uh, and give to the world through us. And that's the word I want to just set out before you, freedom. The, the first principle, um, the word associated with that was the, the, the one of surrender. God's my guide, so I'm going to surrender. This is freedom. This is free. This is what God is offering. Like people say, oh well, I got stuff behind me, shame, problems, challenges, whatever. I got stuff nipping at my heels. Okay, but but, but that's scary stuff out there. He's inviting us to freedom. That's what he's doing. N- none of this is freedom, folks. None of it. Second Timothy chapter one verse seven. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. We think straight. So we get that we are invited into freedom. And our, and our fears and complaints, what they do is they, they reveal some things to us and about us. I, just, I don't want to run too far down this road here, but let me just say that some of us live sometimes like we're functional atheists. Now, we, we may not say that out loud, but we live as if, God, we, we, we got this. You take care of other stuff. I'm sure there's a famine somewhere or it's a storm or something you need to deal with. I, I got, I, we're functional atheists. Most of the time we don't mentally start there and then work our way. Most of the time we behave our way into our atheism. God, I, I don't actually want you involved here because I'm afraid what you might say, you might mess up my plan. So I behave my way into my atheism. If I think I'm better off without the presence and the power of God in my life, that's exactly where I am. I'm a functional atheist. And the, the challenge is, excuse me, the invitation is, c- come be free of that. Live with his power. Live with his presence at work in your life. Okay, third, third thing. Verse 13. Moses said to the people, fear not. Now, that's a funny little phrase in the, uh, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew. It's a funny little phrase. It's like um, half rebuke, half comfort. So it would be maybe something along the lines of, hey, there's no need to be afraid. Something like that. He said to the people, fear not. There's no need to be afraid. Stand firm and see the salvation of of the Lord, which he will work for you today for the Egyptians. Don't miss this. Whom you see today, you shall never see again. That I am the Lord will fight for you and you have only 
to be silent. The Lord said to Moses, Why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Now, can we just pause right there? Go forward. What's in front of them? The sea. What's behind them? Pharaoh's army. Go forward. Some of you feel like that. God, if, if, I, if I start walking forward, I'm toast. I'm going to drown. Go forward. That's what he says. Lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. They go through the sea on dry ground. And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they shall go in after them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts and his chariots and his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the I am, the Lord. When I've gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. Then, then, the angel of God who was going before the host of Israel moved and went behind them. The pillar of cloud moved from before them. Uh, and stood behind them, coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel. And there was the cloud and the darkness, and it lit up the night without one coming near the other all night. So here, here's, here's, okay, so go forward is what he's saying. And then what happens? The pillar of cloud, it, it lifts and it moves behind them. What's behind them? Pharaoh and his army. Here's the third principle. Our deliverance awaits, but it is not in question. It's not. Some of you have been praying about things for a long, uh, something for a long time. Some of you know that there's some things that God wants to do in your life. Our deliverance awaits, but it is not in question. Remember what Moses said, the promise that was made. There's no need to be afraid. Stand firm. See the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you. Our deliverance awaits, but it is not in question. Here, here's, here's, break this down. First of all. His presence was their protection. And so it is with us. The, the cloud picked up, moved behind them, between. He literally, God literally put himself between his people and their enemies. He put himself between the two. He was going to be their protection. Secondly, verse 21. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. And the Lord drove back the sea by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land. And the waters were divided. So just pause here. If you're a Charlton Heston fan or the Disney Prince of Egypt fan. It didn't quite happen like the movie said, if you can imagine such a thing. It would have been awesome had he walked out and that would have been amazing. God's like, no, watch this. And it just dries up. That's how it went. And the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground. The waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. The Egyptians pursued and went in after them into the midst of the sea. All Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. Look at verse 24. And in the morning watch, so somewhere in the, between 3 and 6 um, a.m., the, the Lord uh, in the pillar of fire and the cloud looked down on the Egyptian forces and threw the Egyptian forces into a panic, clogging their chariot wheels so that they drove heavily. And the Egyptians said, let us uh, flee before Israel, uh, for the Lord, the I Am, fights for them against the Egyptians. So, here's the picture. Uh, God blows the wind. People of Israel start trucking through. They're, they're moving forward. They're, they're going to they're gonna get to the other side. Uh, God lets the Egyptians through. They go, oh, it's the time. So off they go. They go driving down in their chariots. And then what happens? 
that clogs their chariot wheels. Exactly what that means, nobody knows. Some, some people speculate, well, the wheels got out of round, or the wheels fell off, or the wheels stuck in the mud, although it drives, they walk through on dry ground. I mean, like, a, there could be any number of things that it actually means. Here's what happened, though. The Egyptians got down into the middle of it, and God used their weapons against them. Here's all of our chariots, man. We're going to smash those people. Somehow they get down into the sea, into the, the, the seabed there, and the thing that they were counting on is the thing that messed them up. Nobody has ever had that experience where the thing that you were counting on is the thing that got you sideways. Nobody. He used their own weapons against them to bring God's uh, the deliverance, uh, the deliverance that God wanted to do. And lastly, Verse 26. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea, that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots, and upon their horses. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, returned to its normal course. When the morning appeared, as the Egyptians fled into it, the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. The waters returned, covered the chariots, the horsemen of all the hosts of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea. Not one of them remained. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground right through the sea. The waters being a wall in them to, uh, to them on the right, on the left. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians. Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. He, they saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord and they believed in the Lord, the I Am, and in his servant Moses. Last thing, he swallowed them up in victory. They're coming after him. What happens? Stick out your staff, Moses, and the sea begins to fold back on top of them. And it just washes over them, and it's done. And what did God say beforehand? The, these Egyptians that you're so worried about right now, you won't have to mess with. You won't have to see them anymore. And so the good news is, God kept his word. Folks, listen. Um, the word that I want you to associate with this particular, so we've got surrender. God's our guys. We surrender. Um, we fear and we complain, but God is inviting us to freedom. That was our word. And this one is hope. Hope. You stand there and you're like, okay, God, I'm trying to obey. I'm trying to step into this. I'm trying to walk the path that you set out for me. Boy, it's scary. I've never seen a sea stack up like walls before. I think I just saw a fish swim by. I don't understand what is happening, but I'm trying to walk forward in obedience. And what the only thing that I am holding on to is that I can put my hope in you. This is... This is the place. The, the, the Red Sea is the place of hope. You, you think that the, the safer stuff is back behind you, but no, no, no. The, the better stuff is out in front. You think, that, oh, if we could just go back. No, no, let's go forward. It's the place of hope. It's the place of freedom. Only slavery and death and service to a God that is not worth our service is behind us. Service to the God that is the true God, the one God, the, the right God. Service to that God and life with Him and the freedom that it is is out in front of us. And hope and freedom are only ours when we surrender. Now I want to push 1,500 years forward past this event, give or take 1,500 years. Our deliverance awaits, but it is not in question. Jesus Christ is on the earth. And what does he do? His presence 
is our protection. He allowed himself to be lifted on a cross, sticking himself literally between our enemy, sin, and us. He became sin for us so that you and I, so that you and I could experience freedom from that. His presence is our protection. Secondly, he used the own, the, its own weapon against it. So the way that he conquered death was through somebody, death. The very thing that uh, should have swallowed him up, he instead uh, used to defeat death. God used death, the death of Jesus, to defeat death. And he swallowed it up. There's not a, uh, not, it's not left for us. There's not a, a portion of it that's like, oh, uh, this part's kind of out of control. This, this, this section of the garden is kind of uh, really overrun right now. We'll maybe we'll get to it later. No, he swallowed it up in victory. So much so that Jesus himself, before he died and before he was resurrected, said this, hey, those who trust in me, they'll never even taste death. Yeah, their bodies will quit working. That's true. But they won't taste death. He swallowed it up. His presence is our protection. He stuck himself between us and sin, becoming sin for us. He died in our place, and by his death, he overcame death, and he rose from the dead, swallowing up death in victory. And I, what I want to do is remind us that the Exodus story is our story. The, the thing that we see here through the waters, through the chaos, through the trial, through the, all the stuff that was, that story is our story. And we have a God who put himself in between us and our enemy, who used the, the weapon of the enemy to overcome the enemy, and who swallowed that enemy up fully and finally. Listen, church family, this story is our story. And the question is, is it your story? Is it yours? Have you put your trust in Jesus? Are you believing in him today to cover your sin, to die in your place, and to rise again? If you're not a Christian, you're not a follower of Jesus, I want to invite you to do, I mean, hear me, the story of Christianity is a story of hope and freedom, but we only get there through surrender. So I want to invite you to surrender your life to him today. Give your life to him today. And if you're watching online, you, you can uh, send an email or leave a comment there in the comments. Give your life to him today. Surrender your life to him. If you are a follower of Jesus, I just want to remind you, this story is our story. So this is the story we get to tell. This is the story. God led us, man. He led us in a way that we would have never seen or predicted. This is not the way that we would have even chosen, but this is the way that God led us. And look at how he led us. So I want to invite you to put your, whatever it may be. Maybe you need to surrender. Maybe you need to say, God, I, I want your kind of freedom. Or maybe you just need to say, God, I'm facing some stuff. And the, the dose of what I need of the kingdom is the dose of hope. Whatever it may be, we want to have a moment to pray. And you can set those things before the Lord. Let's do that now. If you want to close your stuff up, may, you may need to actually keep it open to just keep your mind fresh and focus on what is there in front of you. But 
we want to take a minute. When you're ready, if you would like to bow your head, feel free to do so. Maybe you actually need to raise your head and look up um, and trust that God's going to speak and move here. But I just, I want to offer you this. The Christian life is the life of surrender. The Christian life is an invitation of freedom. And it is a life of hope. Which do you need more of this morning? Surrender? Freedom? Hope? Holy Spirit, I I believe that you have spoken here. And I believe that you have been at work. You call your word, you you say of it, it is a two-edged sword. And so, God, in the places where we need some things notched out of us, removed, would you do it? In the place where we need some discernment, some clarity, would you do it? In the place where we need some some encouragement and some hope, because we're facing things that we can't explain, would you do it? Over everyone gathered here, over everyone watching online, my prayer, Father, is that you would do now what you do. Do so by your Holy Spirit and do so for the sake and glory of Jesus. This is what we ask in his name. Amen.